0: Welcome to Managed Care Cast, a podcast of the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Christina Matina, Assistant Managing Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. On this episode of Managed Care Cast, we're talking with the co-editors-in-chief of the American Journal of Managed Care, Dr. Mark Fendrick and Dr. Michael Chernew. They look back on the past year and discuss what they're looking forward to in 2023. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. First, we want to look back at 2022 and ask, what was your favorite article published in the journal this year?
1: I'm happy to go first. Uh, This is Mark Fendrick, happy to uh, have all of you be on this podcast with my co-editor-in-chief and close friend, Michael Chernu. want to send our thanks to everyone at the AJMC team for another successful year. So many great papers to choose from, but uh, I think I'll pick the paper by Jack Rowe and his colleagues from Massachusetts General, who did a randomized trial of intensive care management for a complex Medicaid population. And as most uh, AGMC readers know, there's been tremendous attention to uh, high utilizers, uh, a term coined as the hot spotters. There had been a number of trials, uh, somewhat uh, negative in terms of our ability to really intensify our, our interventions on these folks to uh, keep them out of the hospital and keep them healthy. This program evaluated uh, by the MGH authors showed that a very targeted group that received intensive care management in the home, including in some cases home-based primary care, led to better quality metrics, uh, high levels of patient satisfaction, and importantly, a lower total medical expenditures which had yet to been shown in a trial of this type.
2: So I think that um, if I follow this correctly, it leaves it to me. And I also want to thank you, uh, Christina, for having me here, and the whole AGMC team. It's been um, a really busy year. It's amazing how fast the time has flown. And uh, there certainly are a lot of articles to choose from. I'm going to pick one from the uh, from the March issue. Um, on uh, an area of particular interest of mine. Its uh, lead author is Jason Gibbons, and it examines the performance of uh, small practices in the Medicare Accountable Care Organizations uh, program. And as one might imagine, uh, this is an area of particular interest of mine, which is why I find the paper so uh, compelling. And the um, focus of this particular paper is the extent to which small practices perform better or worse than large practices in these ACO programs. They find in fact that small practices do perform better than large practices. And I think that ends up being important because as we move forward with payment reform, it's important to understand how we attract participants and what the uh, program uh, design looks like. And I think we've known uh, for a while that it's easier uh, to save money if you don't have a vested interest in some ways in the actual utilization. So for example, um, it's harder for hospitals to keep people out of hospitals. And so the um, uh, finding that small practices or ACOs with a lot of small practices perform better than uh, ACOs with larger practices, I think is particularly important ramifications for um, ACO um program design and for understanding about how we think about consolidation and healthcare system reform. So that's my choice.
0: Well, like you mentioned, this year has flown by and we did see kind of the health system in the country return to normalcy from the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. So could you kind of recap what kind of changes we saw this year during that transformation?
2: I'm not sure I would say the healthcare system has returned to normal, by the way, Um, I'm not sure we were necessarily that stable before the pandemic. Certainly, the disruption of the pandemic was so great that um, we are now back in a situation that seems more uh, akin to where we were before. But I think the situation is far from normal in several ways. On the downside, um, I think the labor market is still really challenged in this country for a range of reasons. And I think that's Uh, creating a lot of problems for healthcare providers and um, inflation uh, remains high, although it's come down a bit lately. And I think that becomes a challenge for uh, both payers and for providers of care. So I think there's a lot of turmoil in the market for healthcare delivery. So that's sort of one change and we'll see if we actually get back to normal. Although utilization numbers have certainly bounced back to much closer to where we were pre-pandemic. Of course, there would have been a trend, I think the nature of utilization really has changed, and um, particularly around the way in which we use digital health. So while the pandemic spawned uh, a tremendous spike in the use of telehealth, for example, um, and that spike has diminished, it's certainly still well above where we were in uh, pre-pandemic time. And there's a bunch of other things like the use of uh electronic messaging through uh, systems like MyChart and stuff that I think have really changed the way individuals interact with the healthcare system. And so I think that while we are no longer in a situation where we see the dramatic delays associated with elective surgery and people staying away from the healthcare system um, and all the things that were really clear disruptions, that occurred basically between uh, 2020 and 2021, we still have a uh, a different and a turbulent uh, healthcare system. And some of the things that helped us get over that time, for example, the public health emergency, the suspension of sequester, the added COVID relief money, those have been sort of removed. So now we are uh, facing a somewhat more stable market than we were in 2020 and 2021, but we're doing so with a lot less support than we had earlier. So
1: I can always count on Mike to uh, give an answer that's complete enough to uh, take away one of my points and allow me to let my dog in uh, from the backyard. So uh, it, it, it can't go without saying the uh, impact on telemedicine and virtual care about how that's changed uh, healthcare delivery, both from my own clinical practice perspective, as well as from the population health perspective. As uh, most AGMC readers know, uh, Congress is currently deliberating what exactly to do regarding reimbursement of telemedicine. And this is going to be a very important aspect moving forward, given there's some important preliminary data that shows that uh, access to telemedicine may in fact actually uh, better served populations that did not have full access to conventional care. So I'm cautiously optimistic about that. I will add briefly one non COVID-related change, which uh, we have been working on for quite some time and published a number of papers in AGMC over the years, including 2022, is uh, the impact of high deductible health plans and its negative implications on access and disparities, and also some promising news that a federal rule that went in place in 2019 allowing health plans that offered health safety accounts to cover certain services on a predeductible basis very happy to report that uh, 75% of employers and plans actually changed their benefits more favorably toward uh, pre-deductible coverage of chronic disease services after the advent of that uh, IRS rule. And that eight out of 10 of respondents actually said, if given the opportunity and the regulations would allow, that they would cover even more services on a pre-deductible basis. So. Our uh, advent of smarter deductibles that uh, Mike Turner and I have been talking about now for almost two decades is uh, slowly moving forward with lots of work to do.
0: Dr. Turner, you mentioned inflation, uh, which has been a huge headline this year. Could you speak a bit more to how inflation has impacted healthcare this year?
2: Sure. Well, inflation has impacted everything, but I will speak about how it's impacted healthcare. Um, I think the most direct effect for healthcare providers has been simply challenges with hiring workers and what they get paid. And particularly for the public programs where the fee schedules don't naturally rise, there's been a really um, big gap between what providers uh, might be getting paid and what their input costs are. Now, um, there was a lot of COVID relief which um, really helped smooth that over. But for example, if you look at physician fees um, that are paid under a, a rule uh, uh, called MACRA now, um, they're basically scheduled to rise um, at a flat rate going forward um, in nominal terms. Little increases depending on whether you're in an alternative payment model or not. Eventually, but when inflation is running at five six percent, essentially what's happening is the uh, income and the revenue of organizations in real terms is degrading. And that creates a lot of stress on those organizations for how to uh, produce care. Uh, I should add that from a payer point of view, as there's a lot of inflation in general um, in the healthcare sector, both in terms of the prices for care and the volume rebounding, I think that payers are continuing to struggle with costs overall. So Um, That induces a whole range of uh, activities in terms of uh, reductions in benefit generosity, narrowing networks, a whole bunch of other things that I think uh, we can talk about later. Nevertheless, the uh, overall sense of inflation creates a turbulence in the market for both the the people who are delivering care and the people that are buying care that really changes the way people think about how they interact with the healthcare system.
0: Well, Dr. Fendrick mentioned how cost continues to be a barrier to care. Uh, but there's also growing attention on the non-cost-related barriers. How can these barriers be addressed better, and whose role is it to address them?
1: Christina, if we had uh, hours to discuss this uh, go into some detail, I'll just say briefly that uh, it's very promising that this administration and several state governments have put a significant focus on healthcare disparities and implementation of policies that will actually enhance equity. So Uh, disparities and and inequities is very complex and multifactorial. And as you mentioned, uh, income and money is is one contributor to that, but there's multiple other areas that are thankfully increasingly getting attention uh, by what's broadly defined as a healthcare system. This includes issues of housing, seeing both providers and payers investing in affordable housing, uh, reduction in food insecurity and uh, enhancements in transportation. Uh, I, as always, uh, remain optimistic, as Mike reminds me, that we will continue to make headway uh, along these areas and, and do hope with the combination of removal of uh, cost-related barriers to healthcare, we will also increasingly address those non-cost barriers that have been well-established to contribute to unequal access and patient-centered outcomes that we all strive to achieve.
2: And um, I'll quickly try and answer the second part of your question, which frankly is the harder part, which is who's responsible for addressing these barriers. Um, There's multiple barriers. So there's multiple people of responsibility. There's certain situations, for example, in the Medicare Advantage program, where plans are increasingly offering transportation and meal benefits to try and help address these issues. There's a um, growing acknowledgement in the world of sort of quality measurement that we need to have measures of access and disparities um, in a range of ways and so you see a lot of policymakers coming up with those types of measures um, some of the things, some of the issues, meals and housing, the solutions for those problems transcend the healthcare system. In fact, I personally am not so sure you want the healthcare system being responsible for dealing with all of those types of things, but uh, there's certainly a role in some ways for the healthcare system to play. In other situations, there's very targeted programs like the Medicaid program, for example, um, which has to put in place programs to try and deal with those issues. And I think we've been trying to move to a world in which the providers themselves are more proactive in how they engage with patients. But a lot of things that we spoke about, technology, for example, can be helpful in many ways at removing back, uh, say, transportation concerns, at least in certain situations. And that raises other issues about how we think about um, uh, broadband access, for example, across the country. And that has a bunch of actors involved that also transcend the healthcare system. So it's really uh, an important issue and um it's gonna have to be addressed by both private and public stakeholders in different ways, addressing different facets of the problem.
0: Another important issue that actually came up during our annual editorial board call was the impact of misinformation. What have you seen lately about the impacts of misinformation in healthcare and the best ways to combat it?
2: Maybe I'll do the impact and let Mark do the best ways of combating since I don't have an answer on that side. But obviously the uh The poster child for this relates to COVID, COVID vaccinations, and I think issues like that. I think it's a subset of a broader issue of trust, both within and outside of the healthcare system. And it is, I think, problematic when we have uh, significant public health emergencies to have significant portions of the population um, skeptical of the information they're getting and having that skepticism enhanced by a a bunch of misinformation. I think there are challenges because as time has passed, we've realized that some of the early messages, for example, about masks, they were coming through official uh, channels were actually uh, not accurate or were designed perhaps to achieve some other policy goal. And so I think I don't have an answer for what I think is a much broader societal problem, but I do think we need to do our best to be uh, transparent in the information that we provide to people because eventually they will find out if they have been told misinformation. I think we have to be uh, vigilant to combat when there really is clear examples of misinformation. and I think we have to try and work uh, as much as we can at a, with organizations that are functioning at a micro level because macro level solutions to this problem, I think are gonna be limited in their effectiveness.
1: I'll punt on the tough question, Christine, and use this uh, end of the year AJMC podcast to uh, thank you and your team for allowing us to do one of the great ways to take on this information is to double down on the peer-reviewed scientific process. And uh, what we try to do at AJMC is be, as Mike said, be very transparent about the publication of our science. And while the peer review process is imperfect, it's certainly better than allowing people to say anything they want to anyone they can at any time. We do have uh, done a great job and AJMC.com even more broadly have opened up opportunities to people provide commentary uh, that are interpretations or their own views regarding the science, as opposed to the peer reviewed scientific articles that we publish. But uh, as Mike clearly said, um, I don't see any uh, easy solutions to this. But I- I'm very happy to see, at least in the practice of medicine, uh, many of the statewide professional organizations are putting policies in place to uh, designate uh, potential misinformers and with some ramifications of that behavior.
0: So as we wrap up, we wanted to ask, what are you looking forward to in 2023?
1: So it's always a pleasure to work with you and Mike. And uh, you know, I find that the role as co-editor-in-chief of AJMC is a very rewarding one as it gives me a, a much bigger window into what's happening in U.S. healthcare and increasingly international regarding uh, health services. I haven't had uh, a chance to look into my Uh, projections as Sasha and Jane tends to do, but I'm very excited on January 1st to see some of the uh, parts of the Inflation Reduction Act as they pertain to healthcare and specifically to value-based insurance design be implemented in just a couple days, at least from this recording date, the $35 a month insulin copay cap, HSA protections for insulin in uh, those high-deductible health plans, as well as other services like Uh, Part D vaccines will be zero cost sharing for Medicare beneficiaries in 2023, as well as uh, some policies put in place to allow people to follow up on colorectal cancer screening and no cost to them if they need a colonoscopy after an abnormal test. So those are specific policies. And I think broadly, I'd love to see the momentum around not just talking the talk, but walking the walk to uh, address healthcare disparities and a particular interest of Mike and mine And the journal is focusing on measuring and hopefully reducing uh, that billion dollar spend on no value care, those being those healthcare services that at best don't make people any healthier and in many situations uh, create real harm and worsen equity. So I'm hopeful that uh, AGMC will remain on the forefront of some of these and many other issues and uh, very excited about 2023.
2: So um, I won't run through quite the same litany of uh, actions coming down the road, but I will say uh, a few quick things. The first one is I probably most look forward to reconnecting. I think um, it's only been the past few months where we've really moved to a world where we see people in person, and I find those connections important. Uh, All the folks that we work with, I think, um, have a lot to add, and I find the in-person connections more important. rewarding than the Zoom connections. So that would be the first thing. With regards to the journal, I think this is probably something I would say every year. I look forward to seeing um, more interesting submissions, taking on new topics. um, As the healthcare system continues to evolve, I think there will be a lot of lessons to be learned from the experience that we've been in clinically and I think managerially. Um, An area of particular interest of mine, to name one that Mark didn't name, Um, is what people are going to do with the insurer price transparency data. I think this has been much anticipated um, and now we um, have to figure out how to deal with huge volumes of data about prices that are being charged. Um, Interested to see how different states move forward on their healthcare uh, transformation journey. I think that a lot of the action going on in health policy is going to happen at the state level and seeing how states move forward and implement the things that they've started and other states start uh new initiatives, I think is always very exciting. Um so those are probably the things that I'm most interested in um in following up on and, and seeing how the the year progresses. I'm sure um you asked us in the beginning um you know, what do we see now that we're getting back to normal? And I think I would summarize by saying, let's just hope we get back to a place that's good. I'm not sure it'll be normal, but I'd like to see if we can get to a place where we can get to some more stability in the healthcare system and in the overall economy, which houses it.
0: Great. Well, we're looking forward to all of that too. Uh, thank you for joining us and happy holidays and happy new year.
2: Happy holidays to everyone as well.
0: For more, visit AJMC.com. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.